Before our message from Brother Danley this morning, we have this announcement from the elders of the Saudi congregation. At our men's business meeting in January, the elders mentioned that our eldership is aging. Our four elders in alphabetical order, Jerry Corbin, Bill Greer, Carl Harrison, and Bob Smith, have an average age of 77 years. We recently asked Brother Joel to preach a lesson about eldership, and he did a very good job of that, explaining it from the scriptures. We recognize the need to add some younger men to the eldership here at Saudi Church. Saudi Church has a rich history of over 100 years being a faithful congregation of the Lord's Church. We truly want to continue that here until the Lord comes again. Today we want to announce to the congregation that we plan to announce and add Brother Charles Abels to the eldership of this congregation on Sunday, March the 17th. Uh, Brother Charles, would you and your wife please stand, please? That's why Shannon and everybody knows them, but we want to make sure you know who they are. Thank you, sir. We know this man, a faithful member of the church, worker in the congregation for many years. He's a good husband, a good father, and a good teacher. The Apostle Paul explains the biblical qualifications for the men serving the eldership in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. It is our firm belief that our brother Charles meets these standards. We plan to add him to the eldership of the Saudi congregation on March the 17th, two weeks from today. If any member of the Saudi congregation knows of any scriptural reason why Brother Charles Abels is not qualified to serve as an elder, please notify the elders of this congregation by March 10th. Meet us personally and individually. We look forward to the continued growth and strength of the Saudi Church for the many years to come until the Lord calls us home. Thank you. Well, good morning. We are thankful that you are here this morning. It, it may not be the best day outside, but it is a good day to be here together, and we're grateful for your presence. If you are a member here, we're thankful for you being here this morning. We have several members who have been out for a little while, and we're glad that you are back with us, many that have been facing various illnesses. Uh, we have a lot of visitors actually with us this morning. We've got a few who have traveled from the other side of the mountain in the valley, passing through over this way. We're thankful for them. Uh, some of you may have noticed a little bit of an odd situation. Um, we have a whole lot of folks that have actually driven five hours just to be with us this morning. Uh, we've got a couple here that are my parents, and then we've got a whole pew in the back with most of you know uh, Glenda Williams. Um, and so it's kind of odd to see visitors greeting each other at a congregation. You know, usually we greet our visitors, but uh, uh, they didn't travel all this way just for the service this morning. But we're thankful for all of you who are visiting with us this morning. As we've already had said a few moments ago, as Jeff said very beautifully, as he always does in his prayer, we have a very solemn reminder this morning of life and of death. It was made, the comment was made in the class that I was in about the fact that we we're mourning someone this morning who was 94 years old and spent a long life here upon this earth. And even at the same time, we know of a family who's mourning a little girl who wasn't even two years old yet. And there's a good reminder for all of us as we think about our life, it's not part of the lesson this morning, but as we consider who we are, what we're doing, what our purpose is here, what our goal should be, uh, we never know about tomorrow and we need to be reminded of that. Unfortunately, oftentimes it's with the death of loved ones and friends and family, uh, but we certainly want to continue to lift these two families up as many others are going through difficult times. Appreciate Bill's note there um, and the elders as well. As he said, we had a lesson 
Um, just a few weeks ago, I would encourage you, even as he gave you the scripture references, uh, I, I mentioned that purposefully in that lesson, we did not look at those particular each and everything that's listed there. And I would encourage you over the next few days to take a look at those lists in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and to really consider what's there because this is a very important decision and we're thankful for the opportunity that lies before this good congregation here. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can be turning to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to go ahead and apologize now for my voice. Uh, I've got a touch of what everybody seems to be having, so I'll do my best not to cough into the microphone or, or struggle too bad. But if you'll bear with me this morning, we're going to look at a few things this morning from the book of Exodus, specifically chapter 19 and chapter 20. Last week, we began taking a look at this good book. And as we've shared together and I've shared with you, that's pertinent to us for, for one reason, because it's pertinent to our young people. We've talked about and shared with you that our young folks, many of them have been looking at the book of Exodus in preparation for the last leaders program and the convention that will take place in just a couple of months. And I believe we would do well to encourage them as we take a look at this great book as well as a congregation. Uh, I would challenge you and I challenge some of you that were here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're encouraging them, but they're encouraging us because most of them right now probably know more than a lot of us about the book of Exodus as they, as we, they have taken a look at all 40 chapters and some of the questions that have been prepared by the Lads and Leaders program and gone through that, they've taken a test. Uh, so they know it, and they did very well on that, and we're thankful for their time to study. But I think it's important for us as well to be encouraged by some of the things that take place in Exodus. As we mentioned, our, our sermons uh, make it to a podcast. They're listed on the front of your bulletin there. You can always go back and take a look at some of those. A few weeks ago, on a Sunday evening, we took a book, excuse me, took a look at the general overview of the book of Exodus. And last Sunday morning, as we were together, we took a look at some of the conversation that takes place between God and Moses in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. As Moses continues to offer up excuses to God, God continues to show him how great and mighty God is and what God can do through Moses. And last week, we talked about God's presence a little bit and how God told Moses that he would be with him. Now, perhaps some of you are familiar with this scene that's on the screen from a very famous movie that, again, most of the world knows whether or not they've actually ever studied the book of Exodus. You may recall the movie, The Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 19, specifically thinking about the Bible, we get a glimpse into the presence of God, the actual presence of God. Now, I'm not saying that's how God is all the time, but at least at this time, we do see how God has chosen to reveal himself to Moses and to the people. Exodus chapter 19, looking at verse number 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Verse number 12. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. There is the warning that no one should even come near or close to the mountain during this time. Verse number 16, there's thunderings, there's lightnings, there's this thick cloud on the mountain. And in verse number 16, we see that the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And then even in verse number 18, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. 
And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. I, I know some of you may enjoy reading. Some of you may enjoy movies. Some of you may enjoy the idea of trying to translate a book into a movie or a movie into a book. And we think about, you know, we try to picture in our mind what it would be like. And sometimes movies are good for us in that way. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you have ever watched The Passion of the Christ. Um, that's a very real, vivid depiction, as best maybe as we can even begin to do, to think about what Christ went through and going up to the cross and on the cross. And so even though it may have been many years ago and, and cinematography has changed, there is the example as those who put together the Ten Commandments and the movie there tried to depict for us what it would have been like to be there at the base of the mountain, Mount Sinai, to, to examine what would have been going on. And I think it probably only would touch the hem of the garment of what it would have been like. As again, verse 18 says, the whole mountain quaked greatly. The people were trembling, it said at the end of verse number 16. Now, stick your finger there maybe for a minute and go back to Exodus chapter 3, where we were last week. And notice something with me. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 12. Now, think back to just a moment ago in chapter 19. We're on this mountain, and we see Moses, and there's thunder and lightning and fire, and the mountain is shaking. And actually, if you go forward, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 21, we're told that Moses, and if you do a word study there in Hebrews 12, 21, that Moses was literally trembling on the inside and shaking on the outside. That's what's taking place in Exodus chapter 19. And as we think about Exodus chapter 3. But Moses walked up to the peak of that mountain anyway. And he stood in God's presence. And as you look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 12. Go all the way back before the Red Sea crossing. Go all the way back before the ten plagues. Go all the way back to when they were just in Egypt. And struggling as slaves. And verse number 12 as God is talking to Moses as we looked at last week. He said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I wonder what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 19. Forty days and forty nights, Moses spends with God. And I wonder if it did not begin with something like this. With God looking at Moses and saying, I told you so. I told you all the way back in chapter 3 that the sign would be to you that before they're even out of Egypt, that you will come out of Egypt and you will be here on this mountain again. And as Moses ascends in chapter 19 with all that's going on there around the mountain, the picture that we can kind of begin to imagine, I wonder if God had to say, I told you so. I told you that we would be on this mountain again, and you will know that I will be with you. And of course, we have to ask ourselves, as we've considered Moses, did Moses really believe him? You know, standing there on that mountain in chapter 3, Moses is probably saying, what are you, you, know, what are you talking about? I mean, what do you even mean that we're going to be here again? That I'm going to be serving you? We're, we're slaves. We're stranded in Egypt. We're in bondage. But yet we know what takes place. The ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the escape that they go to, and they come to the base of Mount Sinai. And this morning, I'd like for us to take a look at a few things from Exodus chapter 19 and take a visit to Mount Sinai and see what we can learn. 
First of all, this morning, there is a covenant. There is a covenant. In verse number five of chapter 19, God says, now, therefore, if. That's a pretty powerful word in case you didn't know. I preached a whole sermon before on the little word if, of course, in relation to the New Testament. But if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. Now, we use the word covenant, and that may seem like something we, we don't use a lot, but it's simply an agreement, an agreement between two people or two sides. Oftentimes, there's two sides, and oftentimes, there are conditions. In the case of God and in the Bible, we see that God often makes promises and asks for, in return, for a commitment or commitments. Now, there are several instances in the Old Testament of covenant, of a covenant, this is actually the third one that we would see so far in the Old Testament. First, there's God's covenant with Noah. Perhaps you remember God promises not to destroy the earth again with water. And even as much as we've joked about building an ark in the last few weeks, God made a promise that he would not destroy the earth with water. And interestingly enough, when we come to this first covenant, there's actually no commitment on the part of Noah. There's no commitment to Noah's sign. Secondly, God makes a covenant with Abraham or Abram at the time. If you think about Genesis chapter 12, and this is one that we know a lot about. It's the one that says that God will bless Abraham and bless him and his family if only Abraham will trust him and obey him and what he is about to tell him. And when we think about what Abraham was to do, in trusting God and leading his family in, in what is right and what is just, God promises to make a great nation of him. We see a covenant. And so we come to Exodus chapter 19, and God says that if Israel will obey him and what he is about to tell them, then they will be his people, and they will represent him to the rest of the world. But we must understand that oftentimes a covenant comes with a, con a condition. God says, if you will obey me. You see, this great God of heaven, the same God that we serve today, is the same God that came down in the fire on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. This same great God of heaven has always required obedience. Always required obedience. Maybe it was obedience and sacrifice. Maybe it was obedience to not eating a certain fruit. Maybe it is obedience to the gospel, but he always has and still today requires obedience. Often the covenant is, if you will obey, then you shall be. Shall be what? Well, oftentimes you shall be blessed. That kind of goes into many different things. But if you obey, then you shall be. We know that. We understand that. We interact with our own families that way sometimes. I always talk about my kids, and we have that kind of example. If you will do this, then you can receive that. More playtime, dessert, whatever it may be. Sometimes if you will obey, then you shall avoid the punishment as well, right? Sometimes it works on both sides like that. But God, the God of heaven, has always required obedience. And this morning, as we want to take a look at these three points, we'll make application, of course, to ourselves. God still has a covenant today with us. 
You see, the thing is that through all of these Old Testament covenants, including the fourth one in the Old Testament we won't take a look at this morning, which was the one with King David, through all of the Old Testament covenants, the children of Israel, God's special people, they break the covenant time and time again. They can't live up to their end of the deal. But we're thankful that God is patient, that he is kind and loving, and God still has a covenant with us. But of course, that covenant required the one, the one, the only one who can fit, fully fulfill this covenant relationship. He was the ultimate sacrifice. If you have your Bibles, look in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 11, uh, 4, excuse me, Hebrews 10, 4, and in verse 11, God made his promise as he thinks about the one who had to come. And in Hebrews 10, 4, he says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And then again in verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily. And offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Which can never take away sins. God still has a covenant with us today. It's through his son. The only one who could fulfill that role. As God made the promises and offered to take care of the children of Israel. They continually let him down and would break the covenant. God made his promise to offer salvation. He's offered salvation to anyone who would come and become obedient. The question for us is, will we hold up our end and be obedient to him? I'm thankful, as we have pointed out multiple times already through the book of Exodus, that the same God of Mount Sinai is the same God of today. He's the same God who created so beautifully this great world that we live in. We can be thankful that we see a God who does not change. And we need to understand his covenant that he has made with us. Number two this morning, back again in Exodus chapter 19, there is a consecration. <clears throat> a consecration. Beginning in verse number 10 of Exodus number 19, if maybe you've turned away. Exodus 19, beginning in verse number 10, the Lord says to Moses, Go to the people, and at least the new King James says, and consecrate them. Today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Secondly, this morning, we see a consecration. The people spend three days preparing themselves to be in the presence of God. Notice some of the things they do. They wash their clothes. Notice as well, there's some type of abstaining here as he says, do not come near your wives. Now, we spend later in the book of Exodus talking about consecrating things and making them holy. Our children in the studying the book of Exodus very much dislike 
what takes place after Exodus chapter 20 because it gets into a lot of how long this is supposed to be, how you're supposed to make it, the type of wood, the type of oil, what goes into the oil, and how you do all of those things that I will tell you time and time again, I am thankful that we do not live under the old law. I'm thankful there's not some type of stone altar up here that we have to drag an animal up here and sacrifice it every first day of the week. I'm thankful that God changed the way that we worshiped him. But they needed to know those things. And later in Exodus, God talks about things being consecrated, making them holy. When you study the Old Testament and the sacrifices, you understand how God wanted his people to be consecrated. And in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, we see one of the great law givings that takes place and God wants his people to be holy or as we're going to make application to ourselves, he wants them to be ready be ready for what is about to take place be washed literally here washing your clothes be sanctified be ready to meet God in essence To worship him, to hear what he has to say. And of course, the application that we make for our lives, we must understand that we still need to be consecrated today. Now, we can look at this in a couple of different ways. First, we can think about our time of worship, such as being here this morning. We think about Sunday evening or Wednesday night. When the people are preparing at Mount Sinai, they are preparing to be with God. Do you treat your Saturday nights or Sunday mornings like that? Do you? If not, why not? Are you not coming to meet with God? To worship Him? Look, I'm the first one to admit that this preacher stayed up a little too late a few Saturday nights watching college football. Okay, I can admit that. It happens. Sister Danley and I have felt before that the congregation were in our house on Sunday morning and in our van after all the quarreling and commotion that took place, you might not let us in the building if you knew what all was going on on a Sunday morning sometimes, right? As you're trying to get four kids ready and out the door and all of us be here with smiles on our faces and ties tied and ready to go. It happens. Saturday nights happen, Sunday mornings happen, and we're not always every single time prepared, but are we not coming to meet with God? Do we take the chance to consecrate ourselves before approaching God the Father? Not only in the moments on Sunday morning, but even as far as Saturday, even as far as coming here, being ready to worship Him. And of course, we understand as well that our lives are to be consecrated. We sing the words, do we not? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. We think of Paul's words in places like Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he talks about being a living sacrifice. Holy. There's that word again, holy and acceptable. Is that not what God is wanting there at Mount Sinai? He's asking them to be washed and sanctified, be ready, be holy and acceptable. Or even Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 15 and 16, that the admonition is there to be holy in all of your conduct. And of course, I think a lot about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10, and even in the end, verse 11, is there's the listing of things that we should avoid. The listing of things that we've all participated in. Those sinful ways that we have been a part of. And then in verse 11, Paul says, but you can be washed and sanctified. You can be purified. You can be ready. God tells the people to be ready. Is that how you're living your life? Consecrated? 
ready to worship and honor Him, not just on Sunday morning, not even just on Sunday night or Wednesday night as we assemble together, but every day of your life. God wants us to be consecrated, holy people. Perfect? Not exactly, but ready to follow after Him. And then third and finally this morning, as we touch on Mount Sinai, we need to talk about the commandments. That actually spills over, it is, in Exodus chapter 20. This is the passage you may very well be familiar with. Most of the world knows about Moses and the Ten Commandments. We think about the movie that maybe you've possibly watched before. And even today, are we not still fighting over these Ten Commandments in a sense? And in our courtrooms and in our government, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Are they important? Absolutely. No other gods before me? Of course. Do not murder. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. Most of us would agree that the lack of following these instructions is what is wrong with our world today. But like anything given by God, if he takes the time to say it, then it's important. Is it that important, these Ten Commandments? Well, did you know that according to the Jews counting that the law of Moses included over 600 different laws? So we're talking about maybe less than 2% of what's actually being said here in Exodus chapter 20. But God is setting a standard. He's beginning to set a standard with those who would choose to be his people. His standard is the people or the person who will obey my commandments will be blessed. Those who obey my commandments will be blessed. God's people were to see what he had done for them and then because of that be willing to obey him. Notice if you've got your Bible open there to Exodus 19 and verse number 4. He says, you have seen, before he even gets to the covenant, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In case you didn't notice, in chapter 20, before he even gets to the Ten Commandments, in verse number 2, he says, I am the Lord your God. Who? Who are you? The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage god is setting the standard that i love you i am willing to do things for you and bless you and then as he leads into verse number five of chapter 19 if you will obey me as he leads into chapter 20 and the verses that follow the ten commandments if you will heed my voice we are still to follow those commandments today those commandments those ten commandments well maybe not exactly we know that Jesus abolished the old law, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 15. But does that mean that we're now allowed to murder or to steal or to disobey our father and mother? I think we would agree with what Paul said oftentimes, God forbid, or certainly not. We do see the Ten Commandments reflected in the New Testament. Not necessarily in bullet form, in listing form, but we do see these same instructions. No other gods. Do not murder. Do not steal. Honor your parents. And Jesus, before he is about to die, sums it up pretty quick, or excuse me, sums it up pretty succinctly in John 14 and verse number 15 when he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And John follows that up in 1 John 5 and 3 by telling us, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And I love that there because that's what the world wants us to understand, right? 
Well, I mean, do you know what all God has told us to do? Do you know how hard it is to follow everything that's in the Bible? God's commandments are not burdensome. We can do it. We can be obedient. And we need to be obedient to his commands each and every day that we live. One final passage, if you have your Bible open there still, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In case you uh, were not aware, Deuteronomy chapter 5, there is another giving of the Ten Commandments, or at least another listing, let me say. Another listing of the Ten Commandments there. <coughs> Excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But as we come over to chapter 6, in another well-known commandment, or another well-known passage thinking about commandments, God says, beginning in verse number 4 of Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You're to be obedient. You're to be understanding that God loves you. God has done many things for you. And because of that, we can obey his commands. And because of that, he will continue to bless us. We must live lives that are consecrated, washed, sanctified, holy, ready always to serve him. And we must remember his covenant. Not only the covenants that he made in the Old Testament that we can read about and understand how faithful that he is, but the agreement that we make, that obedience on our part, means that he has extended salvation and he will offer that to us if we will be obedient to him. And we must follow his commandments. Be active, be working, be doers all of our life. And we can know and understand that the God of Mount Sinai at Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20 and those that follow is the same God we serve today. And that is powerful. That is a blessing. And that means we can take comfort and peace in all that he has said, both in the Old Testament as we learn about him and in the New Testament, the covenant that we live under today. Through life and death, as we've even considered already this morning, make God your father. Accept his son. His simple plan of salvation that we oftentimes refer to it as is part of the deal, part of the agreement, part of the covenant that he has made. As he sent his son, his only begotten son, to shed his blood on the cross for our sins. He didn't do it for nothing. He didn't do it because he just felt like it. It was just a decision one day. He did it for the sins of the world. To make that relationship right. To be able to be the one, the perfect sinless sacrifice that can do away with sin. This morning, are you obedient to the gospel? If you're here this morning and you're curious about what we have here on the screen or what it means to become a Christian, we would gladly study with you even this day because it's that important. It is the way to heaven above. It is the way to eternal life with God the Father. Maybe you're here before and you've done that. You, you've known about the covenant. You've been obedient before. You understand the blessings that come with following after him, but you've, you've wandered away. You turned your back on God. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to repent of in a public way. We stand ready to assist you. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with something else. You'd like the prayers of this congregation to help you through this life, to help you be a better follower of God. The beautiful part about the consecration, the beautiful part about the covenant is there's a family, a family of people who are just like you maybe, 
struggling to make it through this life, struggling to be faithful. And we do it together, and we encourage one another, even as we are about to do through the words of this song, we encourage you to make a change if you need to, even now as we stand together and as we sing.